Disasters, True Stories, narrated by Brad Carty. The Contaminated Blood Affair, the French state responsible but not guilty. A rare genetic disease known since ancient times, hemophilia affects nearly 8,000 French people today. The blood of those affected suffers from a coagulation deficiency. This results in abnormally long internal bleeding, which can affect muscles and joints. At one time, hemophiliacs were condemned to die well before the age of 18, until the work of Dr. Emile Remig in the 1950s pushed back the limits of their life expectancy. He developed the treatment of frozen cryoprecipitin, which, once injected into the patient, made up for his lack of coagulant proteins. The industrialization of this product was made possible in France thanks to blood donations, a practice encouraged since 1949, when the National Blood Transfusion Center was created in Paris, which advocates volunteerism, anonymity, and non-profit. A law passed in 1949 insists on this last point. Blood and its derivatives are not medicines, nor are they commercial goods, as they come from the human body. What if the reality was quite different? What if the state was capable of putting its population at risk for the sake of financial gain? At that time, among the millions of donors who come forward each year, it only takes one contaminated donor to put the lives of hundreds of recipients at risk. In the later years of the 20th century, an infectious disease still unknown to everyone appeared on the west coast of the United States. It was to become known as AIDS. At that time, in France, neither the political nor the scientific sphere was really interested in this new virus. Except for Professor Luc Montagnier's team, or later Robert Gallo's team, attention and investments were focused instead on cancer research. The situation changed somewhat in 1983, when more and more cases were reported by the World Health Organization. It was learned that AIDS was transmitted not only through sexual relations, but also through blood. The government then decided to implement preventative measures. On June 20, 1983, Jacques Roux, General Director of Health, issued an informative circular to the blood centers, inviting them to prohibit blood donations from at-risk individuals, that is, homosexuals, drug addicts, and people from regions particularly affected by the epidemic. The stigmatization outraged public opinion, and since this was a recommendation and not an obligation, several doctors were reluctant to question their donors, and the latter did not systematically reveal their private lies either. At the beginning of 1984, poor coordination added to the general confusion. The director of the prison administration, Miriam Ezrati, also sent instructions to the heads of prisons, asking them to increase the frequency of blood collection from prisoners. Although hemophiliacs associations had been warned about these dangerous collections, they refused to deprive themselves of the comfort provided by scientific progress and to return to a more restrictive treatment, and continued to place their trust in the authorities. Especially since, at the end of 1984, 
Researchers discovered by chance that it was possible to render HIV inactive by heating blood products. All's well that ends well. No, not really, because France is unable to carry out such a treatment on all its production and is stubbornly unwilling to import additional stocks from the United States. It has its reasons, mainly ethical, because the blood processed in American laboratories can come from countries where blood is a source of income, a point of view incompatible with the principle of voluntary work. After a delay, the Prime Minister, Laurent Fabius, made the screening of donors compulsory from August 1, 1985, but the damage was already done. One year later, a report showed that half of all hemophiliacs had been contaminated by the AIDS virus. Of these 2,000 people, 300 would lose their lives. It was Anne-Marie Castoret who would set the world on fire in the early 1990s. The journalist published the report of a confidential meeting of the CNTS dating from 1985. The public discovered that the center had knowingly distributed unheated blood to hemophiliacs who were already contaminated, without fear of superinfection or exchange of products between patients, a common practice at the time. The whole thing represented a sum of 34 million francs, which nobody wanted to waste. The first part of what was to be called the blood trial, on October 23, 1992, Michel Garetta, former director of the CNTS, was sentenced to four years in prison and fined $75,000 for deception and failure to assist a person in danger. He was joined by Jean-Pierre Alain, head of the Research and Development Department, who was sentenced to four years in prison, two of which were suspended. Also in the dock was Jacques Roux, former Director General of Health, who was initially sentenced to four years imprisonment with a suspended sentence, which was reduced on appeal to three years. Finally, Robert Netter, former Director of the National Health Laboratory, was initially acquitted, but later received a one-year suspended prison sentence. The story is far from over. Still, in the early 90s, the General Inspection of the Health Administration was charged with studying all the decisions taken by the government during the period of the tragedy. It found that priority was given to economic considerations to the detriment of health protection. The scandal turned into an affair of state involving the highest personalities of the country. Laurent Fabius, former Prime Minister, was attacked for having voluntarily blocked the approval of the screening test of the American pharmaceutical company Abbott with the sole aim of offering the Pasteur Institute the monopoly in the French market. Without this agreement, the Abbott test could have been validated as early as April 1985 and thus saved many lives. Edmund Hervé, former Minister of Health, is also blamed for opposing mandatory screening, donor selection, and the ban on unheated blood products. Finally, Georgina Dufois, former Minister of Social Affairs and National Solidarity, prevented the coverage of tests by health insurance, the cost of which was evaluated at 200 million francs. In November 1991, she defended herself by declaring on television, 
I feel deeply responsible. However, I do not feel guilty. Because really, at the time, we took decisions in a certain context, which were, for us, decisions that seemed right. For the first time under the Fifth Republic, three former ministers are on trial for manslaughter in the performance of their duties. The trial took place from February 2nd to March 2nd, 1999, at the Court of Justice of the Republic. However, the verdict did not live up to the hype. Although the accused were accused of imprudence, errors of carelessness and negligence, and failures to comply with the obligations of prudence and security, Laurent Fabius and Georgina Dufois were acquitted. As for Edmund Hervé, he was indeed convicted, but exempted from punishment. Blood and its derivatives are not medicines, they are not commercial goods, as they are derived from the human body. This 1952 law now seems very distant, at a time when financial interests have taken precedence over public health. To those who are looking for excuses, or who deplore the lack of information held by administrations on the virus at the time, forced to rely on the approximate recommendations of scientists, we must recall a little-known part of history. Back in October 1985, when it was finally decided to ban the distribution of unheated blood products to hemophiliacs, the Meru Institute, a French laboratory, was no longer able to sell its stock in France and therefore sold its contaminated blood abroad, notably in Greece and Iraq. Because of their actions, almost 1,000 children around the world have died. Did you like this episode? Feel free to comment, share, and rate it. See you soon for new stories. Midnight Studio, addictive podcast creator.